It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We couldn't do this podcast without our sponsors. And this season, we are delighted to welcome... uh, Mindful Chef. Uh, Mindful Chef, it has to be said, have been mentioned previously on our podcasts, not least because a number of recordings have been interrupted by uh, Mark's doorbell ringing for uh, the latest delivery. Uh, Woody, you've been a a fan uh, of the Mindful Chef. What is your absolute favourite? I have. Well, you get a different choice nearly every time, so you don't pick the same one. You can pick a wide range of recipes. Dead quick, easy, come in nicely packaged. Uh, open them up and the recipe is dead simple to follow it's done in less than you know 30 minutes 20 minutes and you have a lovely meal so uh, my favorite would probably be the chicken mango curry Um, i've made that a couple of times without the recipe now because i'm so used to it but that was definitely one of our early favorites so it's it's also very convenient Uh, you can have your weekly shop done in five minutes essentially uh, dinner on the table in as little as 15 minutes perhaps even quicker if you mark wood and you don't even need to follow the recipes anymore this guy he really sounds like a keeper uh they are high in protein and fiber uh, low in carbs so shouldn't slow you down essentially they make healthy eating easy by delivering nutritionally balanced meals straight to your door uh they are ethical uh the ingredients are sustainably sourced and uh, as woody can attest to they are of amazing quality am i right woody are you hungry is that a genuine question, or are you in your advert voiceover man mode? That was my advert voice. Is that not clear? It was. It was. It was just so. It was so good. But I suddenly thought maybe that's maybe that's the way you ask questions relating to food. Do you need a chef that's mindful? Can I finish your honey gut loops? That sort of um, <laughs> trying to imagine things that you sashay around the kitchen saying. Mindful Chef will also donate a meal to a child in poverty for every meal that is ordered. They have already surpassed 15 million meals. To get 25% off across your first four Mindful Chef boxes, go to mindfulchef.com forward slash middle please or use the code middle please at checkout. That's middle please, all one word with no spaces. It's completely flexible, there's no tie-in and you can cancel any time. So go to mindfulchef.com forward slash middle please to try it for yourself. So, hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. Uh, oh, hang on, what did that beep? I'm in someone else's study. Their phone's got a low battery. Let me just put it in their kitchen. With all their dogs. 
And now that Miles has gone, I'd like to continue with Middle Please Umbaya, um, the fifth series. Um, we are thoroughly enjoying our time, and if you are also, then hit the like and subscribe button now. Oh, and he's back. Hello. Hi. Have you been hosting the podcast without without me? And not very well. Not not the same eloquency. Oh, bless you. Well, I, I just I'm staying with my friends in Cornwall, and one of them is driving off to Bristol. And, oh, it's all oh, it's all go. And are they also famous actors? Um, so uh, Lucy Porter, the comedian, she's about to drive to Bristol. Justin Edwards, her husband, the policeman in Paddington Two and Thor Two, and Paddington One. Uh, he is. Um, uh, yeah, he's that's her husband. He's here. We're all yeah. It's all go. We, I'm doing this play at the moment. This is our Cornwall week, our final week of the tour. Uh, so we opened last night at Hall for Cornwall. So do you often like stay at people's houses who you like around the circuit? Do you have like <laughs> safe houses? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a number you can ring, um, and they give you a coded message to where it is. I no no. Normally we've been staying in sort of rental properties, but his Justin's brother happens to live. Uh, quite near this venue so he said come and stay and it's um it's delightful no last week we were staying yeah in a house in bath um i borrowed from a friend but we yeah yeah we just we do what we do can you, do you make you? extra effort like when we go on tour like obviously you try and make an effort to like obviously clear away after yourself and that but then eventually like when you're in hotel rooms and stuff you just get so used to being waited on then when you come home it's always like it takes you like a couple of days to adjust to. Where's the chocolate on my pillow? What the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Sarah, get my slippers by the side of the bed. Where's the turn down service? Yeah, I find it's the readjustment that you come back. You know, if you're you get into sort of play mode, you're the time you need to be most awake is between seven thirty at night and nine thirty at night. And that was the same when you're doing stand up tours or whatever. You know, between eight and ten. So twenty twenty. So the twenty you get into the twenty twenty clock because then you go home and then suddenly you're like, oh, the alarm's going at seven. The children, have, we have to leave the house at eight thirty on foot to walk to school, and then you're suddenly on a completely different timetable. That's that's the sort of readjustment bit I find hard. But uh, for me, touring must be so different. So by when it when it gets to seven thirty at night, do you become more dramatic at home? Yeah, very loud, and I make sure they can hear me <laughs> at the back, and I make sure I play the room on all three sides. I try and think to the end of the line, make sure that my diction is absolutely spot on. When you're touring, though, me touring, obviously, obviously we do different jobs, but the actual nature of it must be completely different. I mean, you've got logistics people with you doing everything sorting it out oh we're so well looked after like it's ridiculous like how how much stuff actually they try and i know why they do it because obviously they try and take pressure off you as a player and just get you to concentrate i mean it's totally different world of football like i've sported some of the footballers and that mm-hmm. newcastle when i went because a couple of them still play league cricket believe it or not sean longstaff plays for Tynemouth. Oh, and wow. he played a game in Sunderland last year, which I don't think went down well. <laughs> um, but he was telling us in another couple of footballers, so they couldn't believe that we pack our own cricket bags. They're like, oh, you pack your own kit? I was like, you know, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we we obviously they have kit men who who do everything for them. I mean, it's not quite like they need pads and bats and that. But yeah, yeah, it's the equipment thing, isn't it? Yeah, but we are unbelievably well looked after. Like, there's a, there's almost like, you know, there's a physio, a doctor, a masseuse, or a guy that, you know, fills the drink, drinks bottles up in the morning. And like, it's all like little tiny 1%ers. A bit like being a member of the royal, royal family. Does someone put toothpaste on your tube? It can come across, like, the way I'm telling you, is like, you're a bit like pampered pooches, I guess, but you do you do try and be respectful and, and do as much as you can and things like that. It's just that. But I imagine you're very good on the on the please and thank yous, Woody. I try to be, um, but when you're when you're on tour and stuff, like you're honestly, as long as you're not taking it for granted and that you're appreciative of all the help, which everybody always is, 
I think that that's a lot better than th- this is the way it should be or taking it for granted because that's just I, I don't think that sit, would sit right with anybody really. Well, there's these little things that are kind of reminders. Like there's a thing in in acting. If it's say so, you've got people looking after all, all the costumes, people looking after the makeup, and they have to, you know, they look at the monitors and they come back and go, "Gosh, you know, my cheeks are a different colour than they were in the tape before or whatever," and they readjust things. If it's raining, someone comes and stands and holds an umbrella over you. And when I first started, I thought, "Gosh, this is, you know, this is amazing." And then someone pointed out, "Remember, the umbrella's not for you. That's because your costume needs to look the same as it did in the last shot, and your hair and makeup needs to." Look. They're not looking after you with an umbrella. It's a very good thing to remember are you do you think your development to, to change the subject slightly is it's slightly arrested in a sense by which i mean my wife and i we were talking the way back from school the other day going it must be amazing being a child and that sort of you know things are just sort of brought to you all the time and you just you know you're not sometimes making decisions about you're not fussing about diet or whatever because what's the food that's there is the foods that's there and she was explaining the blissful life of a child and i said um uh, I think that's what Woody's life sounds like. I mean, literally, the doorbell rings, and there's the door. The doorbell rings, and there's his food uh, and things like yeah. that. And there's a slightly, slightly more grown-up version of that. Well, I think I think at home, obviously, life's very different. Yeah, in the normal life, but when you're certainly when you're with England, co-op meal deal, exactly. Uh, mindful chef box. Do you find that when you're when you're touring, obviously, there's there's moments when you're you're together as a team. But what do you do about wanting your own? space so i've been in a group of us there's like 11 actors there's uh, three stage management we're all talking around the time you know there's things when you do things together and then there's things when you you definitely want to be a part how, how do you make sure you can you can do that i, I often i don't think this will surprise you but i often don't like being by myself um i get bored really easy and um i tend to just go to my room to watch either a little series or you know settle down for night time i'd much rather play cards or um you know just be in each other's company or if I'm brutally honest, the, the thing that I'd like to do more of, which I, th- I think is, is difficult as a team, is to get out and explore where you go. Because mm-hmm. not everybody wants to do that. But I feel like we go to all these lovely places and sometimes you just see a hotel. You don't actually get out to see. You could be in any city, anywhere. And I suppose you're probably the same. Yeah, that's what that's what touring bands say. They get off the tour bus, they get in the back of some sort of big megadrome. Yeah. They take the show and they do it. But also this, because I suppose a bit like a rock band or something, some some of you, not all of you, but some of you wouldn't be able to walk around, would you? If you went, right, let's have a, let's go and wander around Mumbai for two hours. If you're Ben Stokes, you'd only get, you'd only get about 10 feet. Yeah, well, he, he obviously couldn't walk. I know what you could do. What We did this, I was in Bath last week. We went to an escape room. Uh, so you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be bothered by anyone, would he? It was absolutely, it was fantastic. <laughs> how, how quickly did you get well, out? It was just me. There was two, we had to divide it into two groups. So I went with um, Tim Sutton, who's the, musical director on this he um we got out i think 54 minutes something like that uh but at the i'm quite jumpy and at the end something happened that made me shout so loudly that tim ended up basically holding me to his chest for about half a minute and then the man who actually when he, when we'd open out the man i happen to know he used to be in the circuit no um no britain when he <laughs> he went and made me a cup of sweet tea because i jumped so much but it was um uh, I was a bit sort of jittery, uh, but it was fantastic. Yeah, you would you would absolutely love that environment, Woody. It's just a series of games you, and puzzles. Did you fist pump? Um, like was was it like gloves on fist pump? It's too, too, it... I mean, you, no. It, this is this is this is real. This is like it's it's like an hour long super over, Woody. It's just what is going on. What is wow. going on? How is this going to end? So when you're trying to like obviously puzzle, I'm, I'm guessing there's obviously clues and stuff. Did you take the lead or 
Were you the lead partnership? In no, this? I wouldn't have thought so. Are we? Are we you the rotate the strike kind of guy? Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's exactly what I do. The, the sort of Atherton esque, just to flip down to fine leg, jog the first half of the strip, and then walk the rest. There's a tacit acknowledgement with the field between the field and you. Let's neither of us run for this, and the result won't change. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it worked. It was quite. So, the other group entered in sixth, them, and I think that was a bit more of a bum fight. But um, uh, yeah, you would. God, the thought of you and me being locked in some sort of um, I don't know, Egyptian themed escape room. I think we might. I think we might get completely to pieces. I have just been for an ECG and a MRI of my back, which everybody does every year. The ECB look after you that way. They do every fastballer's back. Hello, it's Mark Wood. I'm here for my ECB ECG. Curly <laughs> <laughs> turbies, <laughs> um, and then anyway, <laughs> and then yeah. Uh, when you get it done and stuff, obviously the you know give the results back. Out. I, I was all good, but that being in the MRI machine, you know, when you're mentioning being in the yeah. room, I actually find it so relaxing. Some people find it dead claustrophobic. I'm absolutely the same. I fall asleep every time. Yes. I just, I'm like, there's, there's oh. the white noise, isn't there? They put the headphones on. So I was yeah. in one when they kind of lock your head yeah. in a brace. Oh man, I loved it. I just really fast but asleep. Some people hate them. Like when you're saying escape rooms, like some people wouldn't like that claustrophobic, like sort of, you can't get out feeling. It's the same when you go into the MRI machine. Like you sort of like you're lying down fully in, and it's not much room. But I actually don't mind it. Like it's totally white, isn't it? There's that sort of whiteness all around you. There's the kind of mirror above your head, so you can sort of look out and see what. It's not really the real world because you're looking into a kind of lab. Maybe there's a sort of connection there between people that find that bearable. It's sort of when I'm in there, I like that. Pretend that the bump, 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 bump is going to the music that I've got on in the headphones. Or I'll pretend I'm part of some sort of like battle scene from medieval times and that there's stuff going around us everywhere and I'm like ducking and diving, but I've got my eyes shut, but I'm just visualizing that I'm that I'm in a What's that James Bond film when he's put like in a capsule and then sort of fired through a tube across a border? It's that kind of thing. There's a sort of real sight you do think you're in a sort of sci fi film. Uh James Bond and the Colonoscopy. <laughs> That's the one. I don't know if I'm thinking of James Bond or the film Inner Space, but one of the two. Living Daylights, I believe it. Oh, Living Living Daylights, Nathan says. Is that the one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find it genuinely relaxing. It's that it's white noise, isn't it? You know, like you can think your children, well, you're, when your children are really small, there's that, they won't sell them now, C- CDs. Did they sell CDs anymore? But it would be like you'd buy a CD and it would be like washing machine noise or gentle hum of traffic, and that's the thing that sort of helps people to... To sleep. We used to put Harry when he was a baby, obviously in the car or by the washing machine, because the noise of the he just got straight to sleep. But would you play that in the car, and would it affect you if you were dra- if you were if you were driving along? Sort of. Oh, I love this one. This is the old, um, it's the, the sort of Mealy R two seven five F one. Do you remember the one with the one with the light in the door? <laughs> oh, it just takes me right back. <laughs> Turn it up. Come on, let's let's open the windows. <laughs> Stokesy, put this one on. <laughs> So team bus arrives at the stadium and everyone's absolutely fast asleep. <laughs> Ready for the big one. Um, right now, then, there is a test series in New Zealand. You, uh, How many times have you played in New Zealand? Uh, I've done a test tour, one test tour and one ODI tour. Uh, Favourite ground in New Zealand? I quite like uh, Dunedin right at the bottom. Uh, wasn't a big, wasn't a big ground. And Christchurch was good because they're, they're like big open fields. Almost like, um, this is going to sound so harsh, but I like village cricket grounds done unbelievably well yeah well because it's sort of relatively low population isn't it yeah there's no big stands it's a lot of grass banks and um 
of beautiful scenery. So the thing I loved about the 92 World Cup, we'd watch highlights when I, that was the first World Cup when I got into cricket and it was seeing what was just these grounds where these international games were being played and, and in Australia as well. But I just thought some of them just looked so amazing, so sort of different. Well, everyone says Queenstown. Yeah. But I, I, I personally haven't been there. I've been obviously Auckland, a couple of grounds I've been to in Wellington, Mount Monganui, Hamilton. Um, and, you know, people think in New Zealand as being like, obviously, like England, green, and seam around. But I've played on some really flat wickets there. Like, so one game with the red ball and one game with the white ball where you just think, wow, this is so true and, and good, uh, like a good even pace, nice even bounce. But then you, I've also been there on a tour. I didn't play in the game where we were bowled out for 56 and Trent bolts and Saudi swung it around corners. Oh, no, no, no. So it has that like joint, I guess, unpredictability that you it could be like going into these test matches you know, your fastballers could be licking your lips or within a day you could be thinking, oh my God, this is going to be hard toil. Because so. I, I was reading an article, the first test will have gone out, I think, by the time, will have happened by the time this goes out. I was reading an article in a newspaper by one of my favourite cricket correspondents. I won't, I won't name him, would he? But you could probably guess. And he was pointing out that England's top, don't really rise, uh, he was pointing out that England's, you know, top four have played very few, very few games of cricket in New Zealand, some of them absolutely none. And uh, that, that that's, there isn't a climatisation thing, you know, what would be the key advice you'd give to young young bowlers or your, or young batters? Yeah, I'd be prepared for both extremes. I think early doors. I think you've got to be slightly fuller because you're trying to you're trying to see how much movement you can get. I mean, the Kookaburra ball doesn't do as much or as long as the Duke's ball, so you've got to try and make here that first sort of twenty overs, and then. If you look at New Zealand, if it does get flat, they have the sort of Neil Wagner tactics where they'll go bouncers with a bouncer, bouncer field. And, you know, that can be criticised on green green wickets when on the telly you look and you think, well, this wicket's as green as anything. But if it sometimes it's a bit deceiving. They have the grass on, but it makes them play truer there. I don't know why or how. It'll be some sort of some sort of science. Yeah, and he he's someone that's been so successful at that as well, Miles. It's not like... It's not like this has happened as a one-off. He got to like in the top 10 or top five bowlers in the world by doing this short ball tactic and half these games were in New Zealand. So I'll be prepared for both. I think if you're like, if you look at their successful bowlers, Wagner, Saudi ball, Saudi ball, pitch it up to try and swing it and, and seam it. More importantly, we've got obviously Broad and Anderson who should be, you know, equally successful as them and Robinson as well. It's just being prepared to have that sort of change of tactics as well, which Stokesy will be prepared for. And the fact that we've got a coach that is so well adjusted to the venues, the conditions. Yeah, yeah. Now he, sh- he should know what's going on. He can apparently barbecue in all weather types. <laughs> um, on, on the subject, Carl Jameson, then, he's he's out with a stress fracture. How much, What proportion of him can actually fit in an MRI scanner, do you reckon? I reckon... Um, do, you, do you reckon I have to, have to sort of have a, have a go at both ends, as it were? I reckon the wheel in two MRI machines and he goes through two put of them. them. Put them end to end? Yeah. Or or they give him some sort of magic portion and it shrinks them to get in the machine, but they've only got like a set amount of time. I suspect the latter, but they can't talk about it for obvious reasons. If the technology fell into the wrong hands, Rick Moranis or whoever. All, all of a sudden, like, you start, like, his, his hands start to get bigger, <laughs> then his arm, yeah. then his body, and they have to, that, like, the, the press the emergency siren, everyone runs in. Yeah, yeah. Jameson's now, like, being wheeled out in some sort of, like, tray and, and the... And, He's now unselectable for the test match. Uh, but he can sort of understudy Captain America 
should it should it be necessary? He's got that kind of <laughs> the the other thing I took from your conversation, uh, what you're saying about New Zealand. I wonder if there's any accent in the world where it sounds more delightful to say the word kookaburra than yours. We just say kookaburra again. Put it in a sentence. So you know. There was a chef in Middlesbrough. Right there, yeah, <laughs> kookaburra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was no um, kookaburra. It just it just sounds very nice, Mark. It was that's that's. You could lull people to sleep. The Mark Wood sleep tape. Can you can you see it then? In your oh, it's dreadful. It's kookaburra. It just sounds very sort of functional and, and boring. But you saying kookaburra has a very yeah. You've gone off. No, you've got a very sort of relaxing quality to yes, it. Yes, I'm back. I <laughs> I used to do with in fact with Justin who I'm doing this play with. We used to be in a Radius Four series together called um, In and Out of the Kitchen. That I, um, and he he um, it, it's sort of quite sort of gentle, I suppose, and mainly just two voices talking a bit like this. It was you know we. Did four series of it. You fell asleep during the podcast. Uh, no, but I did. I would get people saying, "Oh, I hope you don't mind." I, I always listen to. Um, I always listen to that when I'm going to sleep. I reckon I've I've heard half of most episodes. <laughs> <laughs> now look, you're not playing uh, international cricket at the moment, Woody. You are preparing no. for quite a big summer. Yes. Obviously, it wouldn't mean as much as winning in India, winning the Ashes. But you're. Um, <laughs> oh, mind games, mind games. We're so clever. <laughs> I um, you how <laughs> how are you preparing then at the moment? What's your talk us through your training regimen? And I'll 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 shout tick if anything that you're doing. I'm also matching on the physical front. I am training with my club side Ashington. Not doing that. I'm training with my other club side Durham. Uh, no, not yet. Waiting for the call. Rolling indoors. I am doing in my audio book as we speak for my book The Wood Life. Oh, very good. Out now and and uh, all. Um, recognized bookstores if you'd like to buy it plug and um, please support your local high street independent retailers <laughs> um i um, don't spend your book money sending lunatics to space um do you find about three o'clock in the afternoon when you're doing an audio book it just swims and the producer's going sorry you're saying words that are in the wrong sentence wrong paragraph i keep reading missing lines of- i really like doing them but you just after a while you've been staring at that print for so long and, I, and when I, i'm so enthusiastic at the start by the end my voice is very monotone so re- reading audiobooks that sounds like the first bit of your the only bit of your fitness routine really that i can um, come close to yeah um i've been banging out the treadmill are you still doing couch to 5k oh no that when was that like 18 months ago that was like series one but i just thought like series one would be 1k 2k by the time i was series five i would have thought 5k i was running in the cold whenever it when, the game when it was really hot and you nearly vomited in Owen morgan's hat that, 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 <laughs> that, that that's when yeah. i was doing it that's when yeah. i was doing it because i was running around um in in monmouth in the in the freezing cold and it was you know sort of steam coming out and then you and i was listening to the cricket on the, on the on the radio and they go oh it's so hot here Mark Wood looks absolutely sick sick of that <laughs> I was thinking oh Mark Wood I wouldn't mind a bit of that heat now that's yeah that's however long ago that was so you're running what what sort of distances do you do Woody or is it sprints fartlek do you do fartlek no so a mixed chest so we do obviously the dreaded 2k time trial which has come into question in South Africa women's cricket yeah crazy and then we do uh, 5k's just a steady run and then a lot of my stuff is interval based work so I'll do a minute on 30 off two minutes on minute off and just run as hard as I can like 17 kilometers an hour something like that for a minute 30 seconds off do it like are you on the machine or are you just out out in the fields Uh, the minute I'm on the machine because it's freezing outside but I do sometimes go outside and do it, or, or I'll do a thing called what we call tempo runs, which is high speed running. Mm-hmm. So you run for like maybe 
let's just say 17 seconds um, along the just long, a bit longer than the length of a football field. And um, then you have the rest of the minute off and then you run back, you do two sets of eight of that. So it's not like so much a fitness session. It's more about your high speed running. Then you have sprints and then you have weights. So keep them fit. When you're on the running machine and you're doing, say, 30 seconds sprinting and then off, are you pressing the button to slow it down? Or are you doing that thing when you jump up and you put your legs either side of the track? Uh, yeah, either side. And then just like push my foot on it every so often so it doesn't turn it off. But like what I would imagine Kyle Jameson's like when he's little. Yeah. <laughs> In the MRI, just putting his hand up every now and again to tell him that he's there. <laughs> a little room service bell. Well, listen, Woody, do you think it's time that we went to the uh, the mailbag? Absolutely. Let's get on with it. Great. Okay. Uh, first up, uh, it's a cricketer sighting. Uh, it's from Joe Gardner. A uh, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Um, I was heading to my local chippy for lunch one day. One of the lovely things about my local chippy, other than its excellent cotton chips, is that on a Thursday they have a mobile fishmonger who pitches up in his van and sells some of the finest seafood available in the suburbs of Stockport. I should say that at this point, earlier that very day, I just bought my very first Lancashire membership. It was whilst waiting for my lunch that none other than David Bumble Lloyd rocked up to buy a selection of fish. He was everything I wanted him to be, a lovely, hilarious chap who seemed confused that someone had recognised him on his trip to the travelling fishmongers. It was a 10 out of 10 interaction, although the chap who runs the chippy had no idea who Bumble was or why he was famous. That season, I credit Bumble with improving my batting average from 0.5 to 7. Uh, that's absolutely perfect. It sounds like you were blessed. You were blessed by the spirit of Bumble. I once attempted to engage Bumble in a conversation about him as a batsman. It was at a, like some sort of charity lunch. He, could, he he seemed absolutely baffled of all the things I could talk to him about. It was his cricketing career. He was going, oh, that was ages ago. I don't really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose. I suppose someone like him, they were a cricketer for whatever, 25 years, and they've been a commentator for 30 or something. It just seems in the distant mists of time. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, when I think of Bumble, his cricket career, I think of when he got hit in the box. And he's down the floor against Jeff Thompson. And he's had a great career. He won things with Lancashire. You know, he played for England. But the first thing I think of is when he was down on all down fours. Down all fours with a splintered box. Okay. Uh, uh, thank you very much indeed to Joe Gardner. Uh, and this is another from Chloe and Sophie Poplar, who are age 15. Uh, twins, therefore, presumably. Or... Yeah, I guess that's how it works. Uh, dear Woody and Miles, we are writing to tell you about spotting none other than David Milan on the morning of the 100 final in 2022. We travelled from Derbyshire to London and were walking the streets around Laws when we passed a cafe. There he was, having a coffee on the very morning of the 100 final that he was taking part in. That's very relaxed. A good luck mate was replied with a thumbs up and we carried on our way, delighted that we had seen our second favourite cricketer. Who do you think the favourite cricketer is, Woody? Michael Athen? Uh, no, oddly, oddly, they've come for none other than Mark Wood. Yes! Um, that's very relaxed. In the morning, is that it's something you do... I can understand wanting to sort of switch off big final or something like that. Of course, you're near the ground. You're not quite switching off because you know there'll be other fans around. Or is he, is he Is he? actually going out and soaking up the atmosphere if he does that? No, I think most people wouldn't want to sit and stew in the hotel rooms or like in the hotel. So get now, get some fresh air, have a walk. Because obviously the games start later on, especially 2020s and things. So often you're trying to get a fine balance between doing a little bit, but not doing too much that you're wasting energy before the game. So... Sounds like a, a good option from uh, Mala. Nice and nice and relaxed. Oh my word, Woody! Debbie Chambers has written in, and she has sent in, and there's a picture. This is owl news. Owl, excellent. You know, because you used to be called the owl, didn't you? Because of your because of your hooting. 
Hi, gents. Did you know there was an owl called Woodsy? He's from the USA and fronted a TV campaign against pollution using the slogan, give a hoot, don't pollute. How would that sound in your accent, Woody? Give a hoot, don't pollute. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Perfect. It's still There he is. Can you see him on your screen now? It's got the same big eyes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that does look like... Well, this will have to go on a lot. I knew I had a cousin there. Our social media. And I, I tell you something extraordinary about this um, owl. A lot of his success has come since he lengthened his run-up. <laughs> Woodsy is now being employed by the US Forestry Commission. This is a, this is a current... This is so exciting. I would drop any IPL gigs and head over there. Woodsy is now being employed by the US Forestry Commission with the slogan of lend a hand, care for the land. Uh, let's hear that in your own beautiful tones, Woody. Lend a hand, care for the land. Perfect. There has been a lot of unhappy people as Woody has been modernised and upgraded with a new outfit. Oh, no. Uh, which, uh, maybe, it says, maybe it says London Spirit on it. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Look, I, I've attached a photo. I'm not sure if you think there's a family resemblance. We certainly do. That is fantastic news to know that there's a Woodsy out there. Another, I, I was going to say another Woodsy out there doing, doing, doing good work. Do you think we could get in touch with Woodsy? Yeah. I think we should get in touch. We definitely should. We should have him on. Has there been a sort of di- diaspora of the woods? Did the woods take off at any point to go and to work overseas? Uh, no, I don't think so, although I, I do like bird feed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much indeed. He looks like the sort of character that you would see, you know, running around behind David Lloyd on... <laughs> 2020 finals day um okay and what what's uh, um, what was the slogan Hoot. there's two the original the original slogan was uh give a hoot don't pollute the new one is lend a hand care for the land and uh of course uh soon he's going to be employed by transport for london to say see it say it sorted <laughs> <laughs> this is uh from uh jimmy hislop playing against professional cricketers uh hi lads another correspondence from juppie's favorite country uh so I think we can assume he's from New Zealand, can we? I've done a bit of net bowling for the international teams on tour. I've always loved the interactions with the players. I recall Rahat Ali batting. He's put that in inverted commas in the net and getting routinely cleaned out. <laughs> Mickey Arthur turned around to his net bowler and says, this is why we declare nine towns. Has Woody had any amusing stories with net bowlers on tour? Who, who, were, you a, were you a net bowler ever? Like when you were over, like as a teenager in Australia. Yep. at Durham a couple of times. I've been a netballer. One of them was at uh, Durham's Darren Sammy. I remember we bowled at the indoor centre in Gosforth in Newcastle. We couldn't use Durham the ground. I think it was too wet. So they were training at Newcastle, and um, I bounced Sammy indoors. And honestly, without flapping, he picked the ball back, rolled back, and went, "Don't will that filth at me." <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly the most nervous man for the next 20 minutes. I pitched literally everything else was half volleys just so he wouldn't attack us. What age were you then? Oh, 17, 18. And what were you, what, what were you bowling then? About 87, 88? Oh, I, I hope so. I doubt it would have maybe been that fast. But um, yeah. Crikey. Uh, right. And I'm trying to think. There was another time actually in the West Indies that they were bowling at us. And um, me and I think Plunkett had faced this guy right arm who would bowl around the wicket at for like 15 minutes and literally just bowled bouncers, which was so bizarre. And then all of a sudden, so at the end of our net session, we then go into the spinner's net and then uh, Johnny Bairstow, who was in the spinner's net, had come into our net. He walks past us and went, that looked a bit hairy, that. I says, yeah, he like bounces every ball, mate. Just literally just set yourself. So it's quite sharp. 
just set yourself every ball. Everyone feels sharp in the nets, don't they? So set yourself and just be ready. We faced a couple of the spinners, and then I hear from next door the net. Dum, 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 dum. He pitched it up and castled Johnny first ball. Johnny had to walk on the back of the net to get his stump and knock it back in. So he was playing the long game. That was when you were part of his plan. You're collateral. Yeah. He helped him buy the wicket of Johnny B. Yeah. Uh, this is, our, I believe, our first ecclesiastical correspondent, the Reverend Canon Dave Richards. Do you know him, Woody? Uh, no. Okay. Well, uh, he says, in 1978, I was a member of one of the earliest school tours abroad. And as a member of William Hume's Grammar School in Manchester, we spent three happy weeks in the West Indies. That is, that's a school trip and a half. Playing in Grenada, St. Lucia and Barbados, a bit different from Toft, Alderley Edge and Romilly, where we had grown up playing the game. Three happy weeks changed our worldview as we saw global poverty firsthand, were offered drugs and women for the first time and played very fast bowling while doing passable impersonations of John Travolta on Saturday Night Fever. Uh, the tour, however, reached its strangest nadir when invited to a reception at the Prime Minister's official residence, along with the Australian test team who were touring at that time and staying in the next hotel to us. Their tour party saw the emergence of Kim Hughes, Graham Yallop and a certain AB, uh, Alan Border. They were great with us Manchester teenagers, looked up after us on several rum-filled evenings. <laughs> However, the oddest moment of the reception occurred when the Grenadian PM, Sir Eric Geary, who later became famous for reporting <laughs> UFOs to the United Nations. <laughs> There's a lot of information in this. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> later became famous for reporting UFOs to the United Nations. Advanced to us sunburnt Mancunian teenagers in blue blazers, ignored the six-foot bronze professional athletes in green blazers next to us, and announced that he'd been following all, all our games on TV and wished us luck for the forthcoming test. <laughs> <laughs> we, we pointed out his error, but he refused to accept his mistake. I imagine that was the response when he was talking to, about UFOs to the uh, United Nations. Um <laughs> Uh, thankfully, the next two games did not see us facing the combined might of Roberts, Marshall, Croft and Garner. Rather, a return to pre-season matches back in Moss Side. A life-changing, bizarre tour all round. Uh, well, I would love to know what the um, <laughs> unbroadcastable elements of that tour were. Um, uh, well, how do you address... My father's a clergyman, and obviously I call him Dad, so I don't know what, what is the correct way to address a... Reverend Cannon, please please write back if there's anything else on that trip that you feel is slightly broadcastable. Thank you very much indeed to everyone sending letters as always. Uh, uh, excellent letters this episode. The uh, categories uh, that are still open, unusual or quirky grounds, cricketers spotted in everyday places. In fact, in fact, I, this week I was in um, uh, Truro. Someone came up to me in Tesco and uh, said that he liked the uh, podcast and said uh, and, and lamented the fact that he wasn't able to present me with a bird table. Um, finding yourself playing against or with professional cricketers, worst games, unusual injuries or reasons that you've missed the matches. Hi, it's David Gower here. Uh, yes, it's me. Look, it's it's slightly embarrassing, but look, Mark and Miles, they've, they've forgotten the email address again. So look, if you've got any cricketing tales, stories, whatever it might be you want to send to them, please email them at middleplease at hotmail.com. Um, and if that's too much, well, try Twitter or Instagram. It is now time, Woody, for our guest. Um, shall I tell you a little bit about this guest? Mm. A journalist, a writer, not just on the subject of cricket, uh, similar uh, vintage to me, uh, and has the same hero as me. Uh, need I remind you who that is, that hero? Woodsy the Owl. <laughs> <laughs> it, is not, it is not Woodsy the Owl. Uh, it, uh, no, this... Uh, um, 
uh, writer of one of my favourite books about 90s cricket. Uh, uh, today's guest is none other than Emma John. Middle Please Umpire is again delighted to be sponsored by Step One Underwear, the UK's choice for comfortable, breathable and no-chafe boxers. We have been sent some Step One Underwear, have we not, Mark? Separately rather than together? Yes. I now exclusively wear them. I actually do wear them as well. I think they're, they're great for both casual or training. I've worn them at cricket as well. Have you played whilst wearing a pair of Step Ones? Yes, I have. That might be the most exciting thing I've ever heard. Um, I've certainly worn some whilst um, attending some sort of all-you-can-eat buffet. Uh, and uh, I can report that they are gloriously chafe-free. Do you know why they eliminate chafing, Mark? Why? It's because they've got uh, something called ultra-glide panels. They are ethically made using organic bamboo. That is why they're super soft, but also why they're antibacterial. They're suitable for men and women. They're worn by cricketers the world over, as Mark can attest. Do you know the bags they come in are compostable as well? Now, do you do you have a compost uh, heap, Mark? Compost pile in your garden? No. I tell you what, we'll collect collect up your your ones and just just post them to me, and we'll pop them on ours because actually we make we make very good use of the compost. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee on your first purchase, so you can try them out completely risk-free. For a limited time, you can get 15% off the entire range just because you listen to this podcast. Head to stepone.life and enter the code MP15 at checkout. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Our guest today it is cricket writer and fellow by Clapton fan, Emma John. Hello, Emma. Hello. Uh, how are you today? I am pretty well, pretty well. I may have caught some sort of little wintry cold from my six-year-old niece, but apart from that, I'm very well. Well, Mark, you you didn't get the bug that everybody else got because you'd already got something from your son, isn't that right? You had to isolate. Yes, uh, the, the Pakistan bug, when all the team went down, I was, I think, case zero. Um, unfortunately, I, I took a lot of the blame there. I don't want to blame my three-year-old son, but he's just started nursery. And like you say, really, it's all his fault. So I, I don't want to blame him, but it's all his fault. I've actually got a headache today that I caught from um, white wine. Last <laughs> <night>. <laughs> um, I can only assume they had a lot of white wine at my children's primary school. And it's uh, caused me to have a headache. Um, but, it, you know, it's only four in the afternoon. It'll, I'm sure I can't have it for much longer. I'm on stage at half past seven, so it's got to, it needs to be gone by then. Um, so, Emma, um, the position that you're in now, venerated cricket journalist and and a broadcaster, how, um, in your opinion, did you come to be in the position that you're in? That you're in uh, what of, of being venerated? Well, I suppose that, that's 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 a byproduct. Um, 
until I've literally never heard anyone describe me as venerated before. I'm just I'm just basking in this moment. It's beautiful. Oh well, now you could put it. Now you could put it in inverted commas and uh, <laughs> uh, and attribute it to the entirety of the, the company of um, Middle Please Empire. It's my new jacket quote for my book. Venerated Miles Jupp. Oh, how many books have you written then? Now you've written the one that's basically about my childhood, in which you describe. How I, as a girl growing up in Luton, um, <laughs> loved various 90s cricketers. What are the, what are the other, other books? I wrote a book about becoming a bluegrass fiddler in the American South, which I did actually do. That that's amazing. Non-fiction. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wrote a book about being single, which I actually still am. So the book didn't help with that. <laughs> is that why is that why you'd written the book rather than... Well, you don't get much to write on these dating entries. I'm going to write something a bit longer. I want, I want, to, I want to come in at 80,000 words. <laughs> get the Do you know what? If you're going to be, if you're going to be long-term single, then you might as well get a book deal out of it. That's the way I, that's the way I was thinking about it. There's got to be some kind of payback here. So what, what was the moment when you, when you suddenly thought, wow, I am now, I make my living as a, as a, as a cricket journalist. I know you have other strings to your bow, but what was the moment when you suddenly thought, I do this now. Do you know, it actually came, do you know, it came really, it came really early. It came really young. And I, and I was very, very fortunate with my timing and all these kind of things. I'd been, when I was a teenager, I'd, I'd done the classic, like, you know, who can I write for? What cricket magazines can I write for? And, you know, I've churned out these absolutely appalling little pieces that I sent off to editors and, you know, a couple of the more kindly ones either gave me feedback or, you know, published them in very edited form. But my timing was astonishing. I think it was a couple of years out of uni. Uh, I was still doing this sort of thing on the side and, um, and, a, and, a, and a job came up at at uh, a venerated mm-hmm. cricket magazine, Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Yeah. And, uh, and I joined, I ended up joining the team. And um, I think the moment that I realised uh, this was really happening was uh, when I got invited to the the, the Wisden Almanac dinner because we were part of the Wisden family. Yeah. So our staff always went to the Wisden Almanac dinner. And, and this is a kind of weird occasion where... All, all the cricketers, well, not all the cricketers, but the, the, the invited cricketers who were normally, you know, the five cricketers of the year, et cetera, uh, turn up, they used to have to turn up in black tie, in proper like dicky bow, uh, which was, you know, not something you often see. Uh, I, 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 I say that, uh, Woody, you may well just walk around your house in black tie or white tie and tails. I don't know. It, maybe it would have been free. Thanks, Miles. Um, no, occasionally I do. Um, I do like to shine the old shoes up and just walk around the house, maybe looking like the odd butler here and there. But um, that's about as good as it gets. Have you well, been I... to that Wisdom dinner, Woody? I've only I've been to Wisdom. St- I don't think I've been to the dinner, but I've been to a, a Wisdom event. Have you never been a five cricketer of the year, one of the five cricketers of the year, Woody? Never. This this sounds like a massive oversight in life. Well, it depends what the um, what the what the categories for if it's most injured I'd probably be number one so <laughs> depends, what, depends what the categories are yeah yeah if they publish stats for the most time you spent anaesthetised uh, yeah yeah that'd be me yeah. I, I spoke at it one year and I it, it was alright but I was I was terrified it's a big deal isn't it it is a big deal because it's iconic it's a big yeah yeah and you were on my table I had Vic, Victor Marks was sitting next to me mercifully because he's you know puts people at ease I think interested that you've gone with Victor Marks well I th- uh, yeah nobody calls him that do they 
It's because I'm ludicrously drunk. <laughs> you, yeah, Mr. Marks. Mr. Marks. Mr. Marks, I should have called him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I had let, yeah. let loads of my, well, there'll be your sort of heroes as well. And then I got up and did my, my speech, many, much of which was focused on, or a, a sizable portion focused on my personal hero, Michael Atherton, who was, and I looked at the seating plan, about two and a half metres away from the lectern. Oh, no, no, Miles, I, I embarrassed myself more at that thing. No, or at least I didn't embarrass myself. I got embarrassed more at that thing. I can tell you, I I had basically, you know, I was trying to look like the young professional. This is my first outing, you know, as a like bona fide cricket journalist. And um, so I'm trying to like, you know, stay cool and everything. And as I walked into the bar, there is my my boss, editor Stephen Fay, And he's, he's talking to Athers. So I think, well, this is great. This is, I can, you know, I can go up and you know meet him you know on a on a kind of you know professional peer-to-peer level and I walked over and Stephen introduced me and um he said you know this is our this is our new um assistant editor Emma John and then he followed it up with she loves you you know Oh, that's profoundly awkward. What was the moment at which he became your hero? What was the moment at which he became my hero? The, what, the year or the year? Oh, the, well, the year was nineteen ninety-three. Three ninety-three. I mean, oh, yeah. Miles, this is this. You're starting, and I and I don't want you to do this. No? <laughs> Too soon. What, what, yes. Well, I, I was. I was. He was my hero in nineteen ninety-one. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> well, I wasn't competing. No, you have to remember, Mark was born the year that Michael Afton became our hero. Is that right? Nineteen ninety-three, Mark. Nineteen ninety, I was born, but yeah, oh, nineteen ninety. I yeah, mean, you're yeah. upsetting me. You're upsetting Emma now. You're upsetting everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm sorry about that. Right. So you were not. You were. Yeah. But that. So that was obviously the year he became captain. But also started the year not playing, didn't he? he ran out Alex Stewart at the beginning of that year in that. Yeah, you are trying so much to to be the alpha here in the conversation with that man, and it's not working. We're not buying it, Miles. We've got something special in store later. You just mind yourself, all right? Mind your business. We're going to be put firmly in your place. I'm not trying to be alpha. That's part of my brand is not being alpha. I'm actually what I'm looking for is a way out of the loneliness, Mark. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking for someone else who values this information in the way that I do. No, it's so true. And can I say, actually, last night I was at a comedy evening that, that my friends perform at, and um, and I got chatting to, a, a, to, to three guys behind me. We started talking about the cricket, and, um, and one of them, it turned out, had actually did you know had had read my book and um and said you know oh you're a big Mike Atherton fan and the other two just looked at me and said why <laughs> and, I was, and I was like that's the story of my life that's why yeah. I write a book about it who are the um who, who are your comic friends that you're watching uh so uh my my friends uh Robbie Hudson and Susanna Pierce they they write wonderful uh comedy musicals which are often on Radio 4 oh yeah do they they do that night in Kilburn don't they, they do, that was the, that was it oh, that right, was the yeah. night yes tall tales on Kilburn High Road yeah yeah, yeah. You've moved aside from Michael Atherton now, I noticed, and now you've gone to the comedy section. Oh, yes, I know that well. That's um, the Kilburn. Uh, da, 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 da. Well, I used to live, used to live just off, off Kilburn High Road. My friend has written the most wonderful song about Jimmy Anderson, uh, which I sort of always hoped would replace the really quite tedious terrorist chant of Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Anderson. Uh, but I don't think enough people know it. Have you, have you ever seen that footage of Mark on his own in the COVID stadium? What was... When was that, Mark? When you're on your own, the team go out to play like an inter-squad match and you on your own climb to the top of the stands and sing Ooh, Jimmy, Jimmy. Where, where was that? It was, uh, it was Southampton. So it was during COVID, there was no crowd. So 
I got a white towel and, and taped it to a stick and pretended to fly. There's an England flag. So I sang Jerusalem or, or half of Jerusalem, like the beginning and the end, and then started with, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy in the practice match. I think it went down well with the players for three seconds. And then they all started rolling their eyes and were like, oh, God, he's bored again. So, uh, <laughs> What what kind of voice have you got, Mark? Is it is it a you know is it a tenor? Is it a baritone? Is it a deep bass? Uh, Geordie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. A new arrangement for soprano, alto, tenor, and Geordie. Uh, <laughs> What's the most um, sort of um, surreal company that you found yourself in? Like, if I find myself on a set or doing a program or whatever with someone that's you know, been an inspiration for me. What 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 have been the situations when you've looked around and thought, hang on a minute, this is what's going uh, yes. on here? I well I so the 2005 Ashes, I uh <laughs> I managed to get myself a gig um writing about the Channel 4 coverage uh and for for, for the magazine and and yeah. so that was really my you know how you know how you found really good excuses to blag your way into into press boxes that you shouldn't have been in in the past. Yeah, yeah. We're not terribly good. Good good enough excuses rather than really good excuses. Yeah. <laughs> um this that this was mine. I mean, I've you know, fair play, I was actually, you know, an accredited cricket journalist, but I didn't yeah. need to be at those games at all. Uh but because I, you know, because I sold the the editor on this idea of, of this feature about the Channel 4 coverage, it meant I had a, an excuse to be at any game I wanted that summer which of oh, course wow. was one of the greatest summers of all time and so I used it repeatedly uh and uh you know especially when the games you know started looking exciting that you know Trent Bridge Edgbaston was just like literally I'm off <laughs> hop, oh, so hop on the, run and hop on the train and get myself there so wait, how many of those games did you get to that that summer uh I think I think four of them I was at <gasps> oh yeah wow. so I yeah. think the last two days at the Oval because Woody, of course, Woody, I mean, Woody's local hero was playing in those games. Mm. The atmosphere, mm. would you watch them as a group, like in Ashington? Would you watch it at home or could you? Yeah. But would they put it on in the club room at Ashington? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lounge in the lounge room, yeah. And it would be on the TV. And... That must have been amazing when it's when you're watching one of yours playing. So it's a tiny room. It's a tiny room, this lounge room. It has a TV in the corner. And when Harmy took the wicked edge past, and it must have been like... I could imagine like it being a concert where everyone's like sort of crammed up against each other where there's no real space. And then when he got the wicket, because obviously everyone's thinking, well, it's finished, it's over, we're going to like lose the game. And he gets away. And I just remember the whole room like sort of erupted. I actually want to cry. <laughs> it was just I loved amazing. It. I, and 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 I actually have that as a as a like a, a embedded memory, like like a core memory of being at the Critic Club like that day, it was a sunny day and. We were all watching the first team. Then we were watching the cricket with Harmy playing. It was, uh, yeah, it was quality. I think for me, like you said, what was the moment where you're like, I can't believe I'm in the room with these people. For me, it was Richie, Richie Benno. I was yeah. just like, what yeah, the heck awesome. am I doing? I can, you know, I'm hearing his voice in, in real time, not through a screen. Oh, He's actually really commentating in front of me. Um, and that was really special. But, but I ended up, when I realised, you know, on the last day, I was like, I don't really want to be in the commentary box for the moment it happens, for the moment that we win the Ashes for the first time in 18 years, because I want to be able to express myself. And you can't do that at the back of the Channel 4 Correct, box. correct, yeah. So who who did you plug yourself in with, Miles? No, I had a, this is, um, you must you must read my book one day, Woody. I, I was in, the, I was in the, the queue and there was a man for returns, because I'd got in the day before, there's a man behind me in the 
queue and he's he his wife had entered a radio competition trying to get tickets he said can i borrow your has anyone got a phone i could borrow to see if i've won this competition so i i, I lent him my phone and then and he rang and he hadn't he hadn't got it but he, he put a sign on very it. trusting also he had put a sign on his neck saying wanted ticket for genuine fan and some people just came up to him and said um we've got some spare tickets we've got two tickets would would you like are you describing die hard with a vengeance here <laughs> Is that, is that the third one? Is that the one when they're walking around? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a sign round his neck. I could be. I could be. Um, he's, they said, do you want a ticket for, we've got two tickets, do you want one? And he said, yes, can my friend have the other one? Which was which was me. And, I, I just, and that's how I, uh, that's how I uh, got in and watched it. Because the day four, I was up, I suppose, sort of underneath where that corporate stuff is now. So I remember Gilo taking that catch, which is a pretty good running catch that, in the moment, it was so exciting. You forgot how much of this was, you know, it's just really tough. Uh, Mark. You, Emma, he's doing it again. He's doing it again. Honestly. I, I just remember vividly the look on Gilo's face turning around to the crowd going, come on, come on, come on, we can do this. It was too good. So you basically got Gilo the catch. He basically <laughs> lifted the World Cup with me because he was stood behind me. Any, anything <laughs> else, Emma? <laughs> that, that, honestly, that was such a great, I could talk about that summer. For, forever. When I went on um, Celebrity Mastermind for the uh, the second time, I uh, the first time I, Athos was my topic. The second time they said you can't have the same topic twice, and so I said, "Can I have the two thousand and five Ashes?" And they said, "You'll you'll be as disgusted as this about this as I was." Emma. They said it's not a big enough topic. <gasps> it's one of the richest things ever. You could probably go on and say, "Oh, oh I'll have crime and punishment," you know. I'll have- <laughs> And they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. As if that's got anything um, like as much drama in as the 05 Ashes. Emma, if you were to go on Mastermind, would you have uh, Michael Arthurton as your topic? Uh, I think I might. Yeah, I think I might go for that. The problem is I, I would be nervous that if I, having written a book on which, you know, he appears on the front cover and everyone knows it's about, like, my obsession with 90s cricketers, I'd be so worried that if I went on and I picked that and then I didn't do a very good job that I would be professionally and personally humiliated and may never work again. <laughs> well, well, I think this is the perfect time to bring in a special guest because we've had Miles My- Jupp, who, of course, has been on Mastermind, talking about Michael Atherton. Emma, you would love to go on, Ma- on Mastermind and talk about Michael Atherton. So I-, I have a special guest, Benedict, from Sky Sports, has got some questions for you both about Michael Atherton. So we're going we to have our own quiz right here right now. Oh, Benedict, right. how are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, Durham's number one. It's great to see you. Thank you. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take Durham's number one. I'll take that as a, as a compliment. This feels very serious. Oh, my gosh. I've got three questions for each of you. Oh, I'm actually, I'm actually nervous. I was emo- I was emotional when you were talking about the final heavy edge best wicket, and now I'm now I'm actually nervous. My my heart is pounding. I mean, literally, if I was going to go up against anybody in the world on this topic, like this is like <laughs> even Athers. Yeah, even Athers <laughs> would not probably know as much about his life as you do. Oh. Who who would like to go first? Oh, let me go first in the vague hope that you've put the easiest questions at the beginning. Okay. Emma, your first question. I'm actually beside myself. <laughs> in his first test innings, Athers was dismissed, like so, so many other England batsmen that year, LBW bowled Alderman. How many runs had he scored? Oh, I know this one. I know this one because I think it was the first duck of his career. I think it was a, I think it was a big fat zero. Very good. One point to Emma. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, the pressure's oh. only on Miles. Oh, the pressure's only on People thought the World <laughs> Cup final 
Penalty shootout was high drama. Nothing on this. <laughs> I'm so happy. Honestly, I'm so happy here. <laughs> I can't. Miles, oh, your yes. first question. Yes. Others hit a solitary six in ODI cricket. Whose bowling was it off? Curly Ambrose. I just remember when he scored 127 not out, uh, 227 against the uh, West Indies at Lords, and it might have been in that attitude because it was he was running up the wicket and going for it. But it could easily have been like a top top edge off Chris Harris. Uh, I've no <laughs> idea. Um, I'm going to go with Curtly. Right team, wrong bowler. It was Ian Bishop oh. who he, oh, oh. pretty close. Oh. Who he hooked into the tavern at Lords. He hit into the tavern. Um, he did. Oh. He hit him into the tavern at Lords. I'll give you a quarter of a point for getting the right team. The fact that he did it makes me happier than the the misery (laughs) caused by not being right about it. But it's probably more satisfying to have hit your solitary six off Ian Bishop than Chris Harris. So it's one to Emma and a quarter to Miles. (laughs) Emma, question number two. How many test wickets did Michael Atherton take? I've got this. I've got this. He took two. I can tell you who they were. Uh, they were um, Vengasaka and Wazim, Wazim Akram. Correct. Although even others <laughs> will tell you the, uh, the, the Wazim Akram LBW would probably be over, overturned on DRS as it probably wasn't hitting another set. But another point. And Nick, would she get one point for each um, batsman there? Because she actually named them as well. Or I, 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 think, just... I, I think a bonus, but definitely a bonus point there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Woody, Woody, you're my cheerleader. Yeah. I love this. Do you know... I, I can remember what, what Michael Afton's official bowler rating was when he when he took oh, that wicket God. at Wazin. He doesn't get Wazin, any Wazin that, was Nick. number one in the world at bowling rankings in those days, and Michael Afton was number 99 in the ICC bowler rankings. I don't know if that's true or not, That's as I as I remember it. I'm only telling you my truth, Benedict. Should he get another quarter point for that, Benedict? No, no points for showing off. Yeah, love that, love that. I'm not, love it's that. Not, I'm not after points. I'm just, I just like talking about cricket. I mean, why, why the fuck do you think we're here? I mean, um, Miles, you're, you're trailing. However, yeah. you have a chance to get big bonus points here. Um, off which bowler did he score the most test runs? And if you get the exact number, I'll give you that number of bonus points. As he was an opener, it was probably an opening bowler that he scored the most off. Uh, these days, it would be easier because we only really play uh Australia and India. In those days, it would have been a bigger range of teams to play against. Um, Donald? Is that your final answer? The look on your face. It is. I know it's wrong. <laughs> it's uh, Courtney Walsh, I'm afraid. Oh, my word. Yes, 479 right. runs he scored off Courtney Walsh. That's amazing because Walsh also he Walsh dismissed him um the, like a lot of times. I mean I think I think I think Walsh was I know that I know that you know oh, I'm not gonna know I need to stop talking because I might be giving away answers you to might future questions. Uh, yeah, times, yeah, you know, times, yeah. yeah. So Glenn McGrath dismissed him the most, but I think Walsh was second after that. Was that the problem is though, I'm a poor athlete gets a bit of bad press. I mean if you if you're an opening batsman and you're gonna face Glenn McGrath and if you've got a slightly dodgy technique He's going to get you out a lot of times, especially if you play six <laughs> test series. Something, something wrong with the sound, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Your right foot going back towards square leg, leg at the point of delivery. It's a quirk. It's not a fault, Benedict. It's a quirk. Feature. <laughs> it's a feature. In many ways, a strength. Yeah. Um, Emma. Emma, yeah, is, Emma is all over. I mean, this is, yeah. and this is a trouncing. This is a trouncing. Emma, your third question. What was unusual about the six he hit off Akib Javid? 
in the 1992 Leeds Test match against Pakistan. What was unusual about it in the Leeds Test match? Um, what I want to say is that it it wasn't a six that went over the boundary rope, but it hit the it hit a helmet and it got the five run penalty. I'm going to say that. Given the smug look on Miles's face, this is I, smug. I, I, I feel duty bound to hand it over. Miles. It was all it was all run. Correct. It oh. was an all run six. It was I could have guessed that. They ran three, and Wazam Akram had a wild shy at the stumps and gave away another three runs. That was meant to be wild excitement on my face. I, li- I literally make a living by emoting. It's a- does my excitement actually come across as smug? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. God, I wonder what else I'm getting wrong. I didn't think of it as uh, wild excitement. I thought it was just a look of pure love. <laughs> <laughs> I recognise it and endorse it thoroughly. Oh, oh my words. This Miles, been... your, your final question in this interminable first round. I'm going to break the arm of this chair just through tension. On how many occasions did Michael Atherton bat through an entire day of a test match? I'm going to say two, twice. That look again. Now, you're much better at emoting than me because you've got a very definite <laughs> facial expression about it that says, no, it's not that. It's not two. Emma, which I think it's got. To, I think it's got to be more than that because surely the smart answer would to be go to go one up and go three. But just to prove that I love him more than Miles, <laughs> I'm going to say four. Well, you love you should love him more than that. It was nine times, <gasps> nine times he batted all day in a test match. Do you know what that wow. is? That is absolutely fantastic, though, isn't it? That is a, that is a remarkable achievement. That's what you want from your opener. That really is. That's why isn't why isn't that wider known? Where are the tea towels? That's a fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that is that's remarkable. That should be written on a mug. You think about the top bowling attacks that he was doing that against. I'm sorry, but that is you know, that is that's phenomenal achievement. Yeah. Someone designed that mug and I will buy it in bulk. Yeah, yeah. Benedict, great questions, by the way. It Fair. should be part of our official uh, range of merchandising along with the uh, I'm Derek Pringle t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a round two if you can stomach the round two. It's a quick, it's a quick fire. I round. can. I say I can. I mean, I goodness knows what my heart rate is at the moment. Emma's possibly at a disadvantage here, given her, her, her love started in 93. However... Um, Others made his debut, as, as you know, at Trent Bridge in 1989, when he memorably had his England jumper apparently thrown at him by David Gower. Um, what I, there were 22 players playing in that test match. So what I would like you to do is take turns and see how many of them you can name. Go, Miles, you can start. Obviously, we know Atherton is one of them. You can name either an Australian or an England player. I've got the list here. You get one life each, so you can make one error each. So we're after 21 names. David Gower. Tick them off. David Gower, very good. <laughs> that's pretty dirty of me, actually. I don't yeah, think that should be allowed to count. That's, that's a low blow, but anyway. Yeah. Okay, can I retract that? That was really... Retract that. It really... gives us 20 left. So that's, um, <laughs> so, so you can get to, um, 10 each. Um, David Boone. David Boone, yes. Emma. Graham Gooch. No. Oh, oh, straight no. away? Are you kidding me? You've lost a life, Emma. Early doors. Live on the edge, Emma. I like it. Live on the edge. Miles. Uh, Alan Border. Alan Border, yes. Oh, my goodness. Have I just... Have I just... I, I think I've just realised why I shot myself in the foot 
was this he this was the test that he played when none of the rebels none of the people who'd gone on the rebel tours were allowed to play is that Am I thinking of the right test? No, I think Gooch had dropped. I think it was when Gooch had dropped himself after being uh, <laughs> been asked to be rested after oh, um, being okay. out of LBW to other to um, Alderman so many times. You're still in the game, though, Emma. I'm just trying to think if Alex Stewart was playing by by then. Um, who would have been right? Come on, Emma, you can do this. Keepers. Um, he was an artist behind the stumps. I'll give you Jack a Russell. Correct. <laughs> Oh. See what I see what I did there, uh, Miles. Uh, Terry Alderman. Yes. Oh, that is also you come, well, <laughs> the it was... cheap one. I should I should I could have gone for that. I should have thought of that. Um, da, 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 da. um. Oh gosh. Only one player for England scored any runs in that series. Good square cutter. Robin Smith. Robin Smith. Yes. <laughs> Miles. Bruce Reed. No. On life gone. <laughs> I'm just going to say Ian Healy. Correct. Ian Healy. <laughs> um, Merv Hughes. Yes, Merv Hughes. Friend of the show, Miles. Bravo. Friend of the show. Terrifying, but friend of the show nevertheless. <laughs> um, Merv Hughes. Oh, I'm, I'm, this is going to be wrong. I feel like it's too early for him. It's too early for him, but I'm going to say Paul Rifle. It is too early for him, I'm afraid. Yeah. Miles, wah, wah, wah. Miles, would you like to score the, the glory penalty to, to, to clinch round two? Alan Lamb? Alan Lamb, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's put it over the bar. <laughs> I'm surprised neither of you got either of the um, two Australian openers who batted all day on that first Oh, day. Marsh and Taylor. Marsh and Taylor. Oh, of course. I'll run through the two teams. Australia first, they're the visitors. Jeff Marsh, Mark Taylor, David Boone. Alan Border, Dean Jones, Steve Waugh, Ian Healy, Trevor Hones, Murph Hughes, Jeff Lawson, and of course Terry Alderman. And England's 11 on that fateful day Tim Curtis, Martin Moxon, the aforementioned Michael Atherton, Robin Smith, David Gower, the captain, Jack Russell, Eddie Hemmings, Angus Fraser, Ian Botham, Nick Cook, and Malcolm Devon. Well, well done, both of you. You've turned us inside out, Benedict. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the final scores I kind of lost track but Emma was on three Miles was on one and a quarter but then gained a point in the second round so I think Emma still just about sneaked it I think Emma is the winner uh, wow wow I'll Emma. take it thank you uh, please don't um, please don't anybody who's listening do any kind of recount because I'm pretty sure that I, yeah. <laughs> we will find a way in which I didn't win yes please we're, we're trained professionals do not play Michael Atherton trivia games in your own home uh, simply, is this is this format called How Deep Is Your Love incidentally <laughs> well Benedict fantastic questions thank you for, for popping in thanks Benedict gosh pleasure thank you for having me on Dorms number one adios <laughs> cheers Benedict nice to see you Oh, I mean, Mark, you must be over your hangover now, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never felt, I've never felt more alive. Adrenaline ready. Yeah, I am ready. I'm on, I'm on stage later. I'm going to turn up absolutely pumped. Knees weak, palms are sweaty. Uh, that's right. It's vomit on my sweater. It's my mum's spaghetti. Uh, I mean, really, yeah. goodness me. Oh, that was terrifying. Why was that so nerve wracking? I, I feel chilled. <laughs> you feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bloody fair. So Emma, Miles practices in his room shots that Atherton would play. I can only assume that you would either do the same when you played or just in the living room. No, well, so I, I, yes, I love that idea. So the, 
the problem is that I have, until literally last year, I have never been a player. I would have liked to have been, but I am uh, in no ways athletic. And um, also, can I just say, just, you know, world's tiniest violin here, but um, because, as we've discussed... Fiddle. World's tiniest fiddle. (laughs) World's tiniest fiddle. Uh, As discussed, because uh, I am a little bit older than you, um, when, when I was a teenager and falling in love with cricket... Uh, it was not a time when women were encouraged to play. I'm afraid to say it was just before. It was just before the, the cricket discovered women. Really, <laughs> but didn't England women win a cricket World Cup in the nineties when we were teenagers? Yes, they did. But and it would have been live on the good old BBC. They were wearing like skirts, weren't they? Yeah. yeah, they were still. Yeah. So, did you enjoy it when you played? How how did you get on? Uh, did I enjoy it? Well, the the little bit that I played when I was a teenager, and you know, when I got managed to persuade my friends to like you know bowl at me at, at uni uh, which is not very often I loved it um I particularly always loved fielding okay I I was like I felt like I was um uh oh what is that film Paul Parker <laughs> Paul Collingwood one of the Pauls I I know so what's that film is it Cocoon the fly uh die hard with the vengeance <laughs> Is it Cocoon? Is that the film where where the people have they're, they're sitting there and they're completely unresponsive, but if you throw a ball at them, they put the hand up and they catch it. What film is that? Awakenings. Awakenings. That's it. So I felt like I was like that. That you know, I have no athletic background, but I would quite often take quite remarkable reflex catches. I can't tell you why. What a great feeling, though, taking a catch. Well, this is it. So then I I basically, that was it. That was the only time I ever played in my life. And then essentially what happened, I became a cricket journalist. And it was then, at that point, there was no way back because like I was basically, I worked for Wisdom. I was supposed to be an expert about cricket. I could then not be seen sort of just starting to play this game and looking really ridiculous. Um, I, I just couldn't do it to myself. I was like, no, I've, I've got to be taken seriously. So I never played until last summer. And guess what I still have? Apparently, I still have that ability <laughs> to find the ball in midair. It's really weird. I took I took a couple of incredible reflex catches in like my first and second game. Where do you feel then? Quite quite close in. Well, I d- yeah, I I, be- I beg to be you put. You just don't have the time to think. I beg to be put a point. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I love about cricket right now is sort of discovering that you know there's there's just this one little thing I can do. My only problem is that um, yes, I can catch, uh, but no, I can neither bat nor bowl, and um, luckily. Uh, in the Stoke Newington second eleven, that is enough to get you on the field. So we haven't gone full Atherton. We're, we're just starting Atherton. We're not full Atherton yet. No, I would say at the moment I look full Tufnell uh, in front of <laughs> in front of the stumps. Uh, what are you looking forward to at the moment, then, Emma? What are you going to be covering cricket-wise in the coming weeks and months? Well, I mean, I have interestingly, i've I've had a I've had a winter. Um, where I haven't really covered much cricket at all. Um, I've, I've been writing about some other things like music, uh, which has very, been very pleasant. Um, but what I have uh, learned is that um, I have developed an amazing technique for uh, for not finding out scores. So, so during the whole of the Pakistan series, um, I was uh, I, I was recording them on my uh, you know on my TV. And 
the problem was you get a little bit behind and you find that you're suddenly called out to meetings or you've got a deadline, you don't have time to, to watch this. And then you get further and further behind. And suddenly, which is what happened to me, you are a week behind on, on the test match, but you still don't know the score and you still really don't want to know the score. And I watched the whole of the test series like that. I managed to avoid finding out all the spoilers. I don't know how you've done that. Wasn't it incredible? I basically had to stop watching the news or consuming the news in any way, which is probably not great if you're a journalist. Oh, no. Yeah. For your mental health at the moment, I think that's very wise. It was an astonishing series. I don't know. Do you even devote any mental space to it now, would you? Uh, yeah. I, I still, do you suddenly I, stop and think, oh, I remember that moment? Yeah, I still, I still think it's like one of the best achievements. What's the first moment you think of when you stop to reflect on that series? Leachy's Wicket in the first game. I, I didn't play in that one. I played in the last two, but not the first game. The wicket he took or the uh, when he was out reverse sweeping the first ball? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, the LBWN. So we even... I still remember because it was getting dark and all of us on the bench, I can still remember like jumping up and down and stuff. And because you, you were thinking, oh, it's not going to happen now. or We're just not going to quite get there. And then, yeah, amazing. Because that was my first test to be part of the McCollum Stokes era, really. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy was quite emotional. But doesn't it say a lot about you as a team person that it's a game that you weren't playing in that is your standout moment? I just think, I just think if it's an iconic tour, yeah, that's the iconic moment that I think of as like, Really, the other games were great, but um, that set was set with you know going after that. Really, I think that's indicative of you being about the team, Mark. I really do. <sighs> or maybe, or maybe I've, uh, the other two tests were just such hard work with his ball, and then I've just blanked them from my memory <laughs> and remember the game where I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> I'm sure Miles has asked you this before, but I just really want to. I just really want to know. Like, what I'm just fascinated by is what is the what is the difference? What's this? What's the magic thing in the air that happens? It's just it's liquid MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> More than anything, it's the the it's the clear nature in which you want to play, where the result doesn't really matter. It's sort of if we if we win or lose, you don't. It doesn't really. As long as we're entertaining people and people are tuning into test cricket and trying to move the game forward, trying to you know come up with new ways and and things that people have never seen before, or, or chase down things, or bowl people out, or set different fields, or you know always be ahead of the game. I think that thought process of how we're going to get wickets, how we're going to get runs. It's not like are we the end result is the game. It's almost in that small moment. What how are we going to do these little bits and. Uh, the positivity around it and stuff. I mean, it'll be it'll be hard and we tested more so, I guess, when we're not playing well, but why wouldn't you just go with it at the minute? It's going so well. Lad. Here's a question here's a question for you, Woody, that Emma and I might find heartbreaking answer wise. Honestly, how would Michael Afton have fared in the basketball era? I think he I think he would have done well. I think anybody across any era would have done well in this team because that's the way that they would want you to play. And then you would have that freedom and know that you've got the back end from the changing room. You know um, Zach was under pressure in the in the summer with not getting some high scores, but they know that he can affect the game. And his one innings, if he gets a big hundred when no one else can, he, all of a sudden it turns the game. So I think anybody would thrive under you know the conditions where the fear of failure is taken away a little bit. So I think you would have done great. It's so interesting. I find stuff about the dressing room environment and team spirits and leadership so fascinating because it's so intangible. And 
you know, it's it's very hard. I I think it's very hard to write about, you know, because you're on the outside of it. And there's a very good reason why we should be on the outside of it, because in order to make the magic happen, actually, you know, you need the dressing room to be a really private space, just like in um, with acting. You know, there's a reason why the rehearsal room has to be free of outside influences. What it sounds to me is like, um, and this sounds a bit sci-fi, but you, you're all kind of um, agreeing a set of principles essentially, and it's kind of you, you just you're 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 agreeing them at almost such like a molecular level that you're kind of like you're kind of becoming an organism that moves in one in one way and approaches things yeah. in one way. Yeah, well, we don't even chat now; we just look at each other and everyone just nods, and then we walk <laughs> out. It's telepathic. <laughs> <laughs> Good, 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 good. Yep, let's go. That's it. <laughs> There's that thing in the American office when the guy goes, I wish there was a way of knowing that you were in the good old days when it was the good old days. But you are in the good old days now, Mark. You, you must know it. You must keep enjoying it. Yeah, that's that's probably why when you reflect on it, you think that was awesome. That. Another another thing that was awesome, Miles, was um, the Super Rover. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Emma, this is important. Yeah, this is um, uh, almost as important as English fortunes. Okay. I'm nervous again. <laughs> there's no, there's no right or wrong. First thing that comes to your head, just shout it out. Right, so ninety seconds on the clock, Miles. No, you say, oh yeah, Emma. sorry, sorry, sorry. Hang on. So I can really say anything that comes into my head. Well, it's a you, you'll you'll get the gist of it. Yeah, within the context of you know commonly held social mores. Ninety ninety seconds. Go. Hot bath or cold shower? Hot bath. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Big Dipper or Walter? Walter. Would you rather have a tail or floppy ears? Floppy ears. Turning pitch or green top? Green top. Your go-to karaoke song? Uh, um, Living on a Prayer. Last thing you searched on Google? Probably Michael Atherton. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Name something you have an irrational dislike of. Irrational. Dislike of. Probably sweet corn. Sweet corn's never done anything bad to me. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> You're waiting to boil the kettle. And playing some shadow cricket air shots. What shot are you practicing? Oh, definitely the uh, definitely the Athens defence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you arrive at the crease. What guard are you asking the umpire for? Middlenoff. Is that oh! too? Is that too vanilla? By the barest of all margins. <laughs> you know, you've done a dusting in seventy-five seconds. I clearly was supposed to say middle, please, wasn't I? Middle, please, um, uh, yeah, that's what we were hoping for. But I mean, well, it just—it's just a late—it's a late tickle for us. Little, yeah. <laughs> she got right across miles, tucked it away, Atherton style, middle and off. I mean, I just want to back up what Miles is saying because for those of us who did, you know, kind of uh, live and die with the nineties cricketers yeah. and for who for whom you know that is that was our benchmark we were delighted by the very thing that you in the baseball era hate a draw <laughs> was just fantastic whereas now it's the last thing you want <laughs> i just think everything everywhere that england everywhere that english cricket has been in the last 20 years has been like i, I feel like i couldn't have lived at a better time I've I've seen so much. I've seen so much. I've I've enjoyed it so much. I love the people who who play it. I love the way they play it. Um, I love it. I hate to say this. I probably shouldn't say this in front of a, an England cricketer. I love it when we lose sometimes because do you know what? That's what sport is. And I think the kind of relentless. What? Uh, <laughs> 
as a fan <laughs> as a fan the kind of and especially as a as a member of the media the kind of like the negativity when when a team of any kind of sport when when teams do badly is is ridiculous because it's nonsensical sport has a winner and a loser uh only in cricket does it also have a draw you know but it's like th- this is the very nature of what we're engaging with it it drives me nuts when people say you know oh it's not worth watching this because england are having a terrible year and are losing it's like no that's that's actually what sport is yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is what you signed up for <laughs> it's binary we want to win every game <laughs> no but it makes you enjoy the you know... none of this losing yeah mix it up a bit mate uh, <laughs> <laughs> emma an absolute pleasure to have you on um very big fan Thank of your you. work, and I think you have excellent taste in the <laughs> 90s cricketers. Emma, um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. you. You are so welcome. Thank you very much indeed to this week's guest, uh, Emma John. Uh, I have been Miles Jupp. You've been who have you been, Woody? Mark Wood, I think. I hope. Okay, always always worth checking. Um, we will endeavour to keep getting episodes coming to you. Woody, you're about to head off on tour. I'm embarking on the uh, mercifully on a costume drama, uh, but uh, please keep subscribed, and um, uh, we hopefully will be uh, will be coming to you soon. Best of luck, and uh, do enjoy the rest of your day. And indeed, lives. Give us a hoot. Don't pollute. <laughs> Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.